Good morning, everyone. Hope you're doing well. Welcome to our online service. My name is Tom, if I've not met you before, and I'm really glad that you're here with us. I wanna give a special shout out. If this is your first time either tuning in on YouTube or listening on the podcast, welcome, welcome, welcome. I wanted to just say thank you so much for those of you guys who've been giving. And if you're interested in giving for the first time, you can do so. It's really simple. We just do e-transfer and you can get that address would be giving at apallison.com. And we would appreciate any um, generosity towards our vision, our church's vision of in Alliston as it is in heaven. All that money goes towards that vision with that end in mind. So um, that I wanted to plug that. And I also want to plug our Sunday morning and Monday evening prayer gathering. So Sunday mornings, we're gathering both at 9 and 10 a.m. to sing and to pray. And those times have been incredible. God's really been speaking and showing up. And then also even uh, Monday nights on Zoom, we're meeting at 8 p.m. just for an hour of guided prayer and singing again. So if you haven't been able to either come out on a Sunday or join us on a Monday evening, I just encourage you to do so. You're so welcome. And without further ado, I'm, I'm really looking forward to what Josh has to, to share with us this morning as we continue on in our Looking to Jesus series. And with, I just hope you guys have a good day. Bless you. And I look forward to seeing you soon. Good morning, friends. Welcome to our Anchor Point online service this Sunday morning. Happy that you could be here with us. Uh, if you're new to the church community here at Anchor Point, welcome. Happy that you guys have found us, however you found us. If you've been with us for a long time, also welcome. Love you guys. Miss you guys. Um, just a little bit of a plug. If you guys uh, haven't been coming on Sunday mornings and you're kind of looking to now that the uh, restrictions have been eased a bit. We're still doing uh, the 10 people maximum indoors Sunday mornings at 9 and one service at 9 and one service at 10. So we would love to see you guys there for a time of worship and prayer. They've been an extremely, uh, they've been a, a great blessing for a lot of people. And yeah, I'd just be happy to see those sell out every Sunday. So if you've been thinking about coming back, we'd love to see you. Um, if you guys don't know who I am, my name is Josh. I've been going to Anchor Point for about five years now, almost six. Uh, I love Jesus. I love what he's doing at Anchor Point and his family. And I'm excited as things start to open up again, kind of some of the dreams and things that have been going on behind the scenes as they start to kind of become realities. I think it's a, a very hopeful and exciting time for what God's doing at Anchor Point, so looking forward to that. As for this morning, uh, we are continuing on in our series in Hebrews. Uh, if you've been following along or haven't, you can find that on the podcast on our website or on the YouTube channel uh, to catch up on the previous sermons. Tom's been doing a great job, and it's been called Looking to Jesus. Uh, today we're going to be going over actually a pretty large chunk of Hebrews, so let's keep it together. I'm saying that firstly to myself, but I uh, hope, hope it's easy to follow along. So we're going to be going through chapters 3 and 4. Um, and the four points that I want to touch on this morning uh, are, point number one, what captivates your heart? And with that, what captivated Israel's heart, as the author of Hebrews uh, is talking with this group of believers in, I think it was Italy, Tom was saying. And it, so that's point number one. Point number two. The body of Christ is a tool to protect and guard our hearts. So we're going to look how the body of Christ is used as a tool to protect and guard our hearts. Point number three is that true rest is only found in Jesus. 
think we could all use a little bit of rest right now. I know Steph and I definitely could use a little bit of rest right now. Ask me about it some other time. Uh, point number four is God's word as the judge of our hearts. And that sounds a little serious, and we're going to talk about that uh, at the end of the sermon today, but hope you guys stick around and hear about that. So I'm just going to open with reading the first part of Hebrews. So if you have your Bibles there, if you could turn with me to Hebrews chapter 3. And we're going to read verses 1 to 6 together. Uh, who starts with not having their Bible turned to the right spot? I do. So Hebrews chapters 3 verses 1 to 6. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, bearing witness to what would be spoken by God in the future. But Christ is faithful as the son over God's house, and we are his house, if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and hope in which we glory. So I'm just going to open in a word of prayer, and we're going to dive into it this morning. Father, we're grateful for today. We're grateful for the opportunity to learn more about you and your word. Thank you for the gift of your scriptures that reveal who you are and what you're doing in the world around us. Uh, teach us by your spirit this morning what you were talking about through an author who was writing to a little church body so many centuries ago. Help us extract from this what you mean to speak to us at Anchor Point. Help us to trust you in your ways. Yeah, we're just grateful that you desire to know us and be known by us. So. Come, Holy Spirit, speak to us this morning through your word. We love you, and we pray this all in your name. Amen. So as I was kind of preparing for this uh, message, the thing that stuck out to me, and I think that got really the, the ball in my head rolling, was Joni, I think, posted a quote to uh, the Anchor Point family page. And the quote was... Uh, this and I think it speaks really to this idea of like what I mean yeah it def definitely does what captivated Israel's heart and what this author is kind of going at in comparing Jesus and Moses and I think an issue that we all have experienced and probably are still experiencing to some degree and so the quote is this and I think it's by her name was Amy Klutnoy or something like that I probably pronounced that wrong but the quote is what captures your attention has the potential of capturing your heart what captures your heart will soon direct the course of your life. And that's the end for some reason. I thought it was more. So let me read that again. What captures your attention has the potential of capturing your heart. What captures your heart will soon direct the course of your life. And can anyone relate to that? I definitely can. Have you ever had something or someone that's gripped you, that's grabbed your attention and started to direct the course of your life? If I asked my parents this question, I wonder what they would think that something or someone was. And my answer is actually sports. For me, that was kind of what grabbed 
hold of my life for a long period of time and really started to direct my life to the point where all of my time, a lot of my time, my relationships, how I dressed, you know, baggy pants, double XL shirts. Who do, do people do that still? Um, the music I listen to, you know, shout out to 90s rap. Bet you some of you have that playing in the background right now. I'm not going to name any names. Um, how I talked, you know, if you hear me say, yo, what's up? That's definitely a product of what had captivated my attention in the past. And I remember just countless hours playing all different kinds of sports, being in my basement, dribbling a basketball to the point where if we're going to relate kind of this point of this part of scripture with my own experience, Allen Iverson was like my Moses. If you guys can kind of, Allen Iverson was a basketball player. So just for people who have no idea who Allen Iverson was. Um, but yeah, a good period of my life. Sports was what had captivated my heart, what I sought fulfillment in. And so what types of things or people have captivated your heart? You know, if we really take a second to think about that, is it, you know, something with our jobs? Is it a hobby? Is it a specific relationship? Uh, is it material possessions? And so I think as we're kind of looking through the scripture, the writer of Hebrews is addressing this issue with the Israelites. And so Moses actually ends up being a representation of the thing that had captivated the hearts of Israel, and that was the law. And so the law, and Jesus addresses this constantly in his Gospels, but the law and not God himself had become the thing that had captivated the heart of Israel. And so what was meant to be a representation of who God is, the very heart of God expressed in this law given to a people that he called out of, you know, one man, Abraham, um, had been turned into a source of cultural pride, a place where they found fulfillment in knowing the things that made them set apart uh, and actually sin. And so Moses, they put, the Israelites put Moses in a position uh, that he was never intended to be and how they understood God. And this actually stopped them. And what the writer of Hebrews is dealing with now is Jews are having, it's becoming a stumbling block from them recognizing Jesus as the Messiah because of the position that they've placed Moses in. And so this past Monday at the prayer meeting, if you guys haven't been at any of those prayer meetings, they're Monday nights at eight. They've been amazing. I really encourage you guys to check them out if you're free on a Monday night. But Jess Wolf actually shared this really awesome picture that I think succinctly, succinctly, don't know how to say that word, but I think it's the right word, um, captures this idea of what Israel was doing with Moses and their inability to see Jesus the way he was meant to be seen. And so what she was talking about was in photography, when you're taking a picture, like if you have your phone and you're taking your picture of something, if it's a little shaky, it will pick up something and focus on it and that one thing will be clear and everything else will kind of be a bit fuzzy. And she definitely gave the disclaimer that she doesn't know a lot about photography and I as well do not know anything about photography. Um, but she was talking about how like you can be looking at the things that you want to capture, the right things, and still your focus ends up being on the wrong thing. So you can have the big picture of even scripture and be looking through it, and this is what Israel did, and their focus ended up being on the wrong thing and everything else became fuzzy. And so what she, what she said in, in light of that idea, 
and I probably didn't do a great well of representing it, but that's, I think, the gist of it. Her, her line was, trade in the good things for the best thing. And I think that's, we can all kind of relate to that about times in our life or places in our life when we've been so focused, like tunnel vision on this one thing. And it might not have been completely wrong, but it wasn't the best thing. And this is exactly, I think, what the writer of Hebrews is addressing. It's like, you're so, you're so focused on the law and Moses as a representation of that law that you aren't actually able to see what the law and Moses was pointing to all along, and that's Jesus. And so Jesus actually addresses this very issue with the Pharisees when he says in John 5, verse 39, I have it written here, but you can turn to it and take a look. He says, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. And, and if that's not a beautiful picture of what we were just talking about, he's like, you guys know the scriptures in and out, but you can't see that everything about them actually points to the Messiah and I am that person. And so Moses himself actually had seemed to have some sort of understanding of that um, and his own position in light of this coming prophet or messiah and in deuteronomy if you have a chance turn to deuteronomy 18 verses 15 to 19 and this is what moses says himself the lord your god will raise up for you a prophet like me this is moses talking from among you from your fellow israelites you must listen to him for this is what you asked of the lord your god at horeb on the day of the assembly when you said let us not hear the voice of the Lord our God, nor see this great fire anymore, or we will die. The Lord said to me, What they say is good. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their fellow Israelites, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he will tell them everything I command him. I myself will call to account anyone who does not listen to my words that the prophet speaks in my name. And even Paul, in uh, his letter to the Corinthians, if you guys want to, he also touches on this idea of what um, how we actually start to see leaders. So just in general, Paul is addressing this issue within the Corinthian church and what, how Israelites' leader in Moses, they elevated him to a place where he was never intended to be. And in the Corinthian church, they started doing this with specific leaders from Paul to Apollos. So if you go to 1 Corinthians 3 verses 5 to 9, Paul addresses this very same issue of how we start doing that with, with human leaders. Verses 5, what after all is Apollos? Question mark, and what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe. As the Lord has assigned to each his task, I planted the seed Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. And that's one of the keys there. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. And so just to touch, like Paul sees it too, like they're only servants. They're not the ultimate thing or person and so who do they ultimately serve and we see this in hebrews 3 what i already read 3 verses 5 to 6 where it says moses was faithful as a servant in all of god's house bearing witness to what would be spoken by god in the future but christ is faithful 
as the sun over God's house. And so Jesus actually himself addresses this issue that the religious leaders were having between him and Moses in John's gospel in chapter 6. So if you turn to John chapter 6, verses 25 to 42, and this is what he says to the religious leaders. Really pay attention to what he's trying to get at here in, in um, comparing himself and Moses. Verses 25 42. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, What must we do to do the work God requires? Jesus answered, The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, What sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, this is key, Very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. He's obviously talking about himself. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of, who sent, do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in Him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. At this the Jews there began to grumble about Him, because He said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can He say, I came down from heaven? And so John, there's this guy named John W. Rittenbaugh who wrote, a commentary and he has this quote on this passage and he says about the religious leaders quoting or talking back like who is this guy they're saying they are saying in effect if you are greater than Moses then perform a sign greater than that which Moses did when he gave Israel bread from heaven they obviously did not believe his claim of being the Messiah and so what causes you know this this issue for us as sinful people, I mean, I just kind of gave it away, but as people that we're having other things constantly take away our focus from the best thing as that picture that Jess shared or allowing other things to captivate our hearts other than apparently something that's meant to captivate our hearts, which is God. But sin is ultimately the cause of our hearts being captivated by other things, even good things. And so the second point um, is the body of Christ as a tool to protect and guard our hearts. So if you want to turn with me to Hebrews 3, and we're going to read verses 12, verses, thir verses 12 and 
Amen. Okay. Hebrews 3, 12 to 13. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart and turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. So what is sin's ultimate deceitfulness? Well, I think at its foundation, it's that we believe sin, in sin we believe that I can, that, that I can find what I need outside of a relationship with God. That's the ultimate lie that sin tells us. And so the Israelites actually deceived themselves in believing that their relationship with the law could give them what they desired. And so Moses represented that relationship of Israel and the law. And for me, when I was younger, it was sports. That I, sin made me believe that I could get what I needed out of my relationship with sports. And so how does the body of Christ protect our hearts from this? Well, in that scripture, it talks about encouraging each other daily as long as it is called today. But what does that actually mean? And I think it means that we are called as brothers and sisters, as the church, to faithfully proclaim to one another and the world that Jesus is the only thing that's going to satisfy and, and should captivate our hearts. And so we do that in, in encouraging each other when we see Jesus reflected in how we're living and in our lives. But we also do it when we gently point each other back to Jesus when we see other things captivating our hearts. And so the third point uh, is that true rest is only found in Jesus. And so this, I would really encourage you guys to go back and read over this scripture because there's a lot of depth there. I'm, I'm going to only do a surface level type of uh, approach to this. But if you want to turn to Hebrews chapter 4 verses 1 to 2. And it talks about uh, the Sabbath rest for God's people. And so therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands... Let us be careful that none of you that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us, just as they did. He's talking about the Israelites in, in the wilderness. But the message they heard was of no value to them, because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. obeyed. And then if you just kind of want to skip ahead with me to verses 8 to 11, it says, For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their work, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that none will perish by following their example of disobedience. And so there was a promise of rest to be found once they entered the promised land and were given all of the land that God had sectioned off for them as, as the nation of Israel. But the rest that he's talking about is is the rest that's only found in Jesus. And so, to go along with the theme of what we've been talking about, true rest is really only found when we allow Jesus to captivate our hearts. And so at the beginning of this series, Tom had mentioned a scripture that had kind of been a motivational scripture for this whole series, and that was out of Matthew 11, verses 28. And it's also a very well-known scripture. And in that, it says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me, upon you, and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So I think we could all agree, and especially through this time, that you know we're all longing for to find a rest that actually transcends our circumstances. And so when we allow Jesus to actually captivate our hearts, I think it begins the process of us recognizing that true rest 
actually doesn't depend on our circumstance and that but on a relationship with Jesus that provides true rest despite of our circumstances so I think that's a really uh, important part to think about this morning when we think about where true rest is found and so the last part um, the, the fourth point as God's um, word is the judge of our hearts if you want to turn with me to Hebrews 4 12 to verse 12 to 13 and I think a lot of us know the scripture as well it's for the word of God is alive and active sharper than any double-edged sword it penetrates even to dividing soul and spiro, spiro, soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare for the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. And so I was having a really difficult time uh, trying to connect the scripture with uh, some of the points that I had been bringing out in, in the rest of Hebrews 3 verse 4. But I had a, a great conversation with Tom, uh, and he asked me just to explain, when I said that God's word is the judge of our hearts, like what did I actually mean by that? And so I spent a bunch of time just kind of pondering and meditating and praying about that. And I think it's that scripture is so dense that it's really, I mean, a whole series can could be talked about on, on that scripture alone. But I think there's an area in that scripture that really ties together uh, the previous points that I've made this morning. Um, and I just want to encourage um, all of us to ponder and ask how God's word is actually the judge of our hearts. And so with that in mind, I think if I can best, in my best way, try to summarize that and connect the dots, I think when we think about God's word, you know, it's the revelation of who God is and what he's done. And so in that, we, when we come to scripture, when we come to God's word, foundationally, there's this question of, is God good? Do I trust him for his way, you know, that he lays out in the Garden of Eden? Or do I trust myself for my way? And I think throughout life, in so many different areas of our own lives, this dilemma is constantly facing us square in the face. Should I follow what I want to do, or do I trust that God's way is better and actually the best way? Um, and so I think when we approach Scripture with humility and with an attitude that believes in faith that God is good and can be trusted, Scripture actually speaks to us in many different ways. But one of the primary ways it speaks to us is by pointing us, pointing out to us the things in our lives that we have allowed to captivate our hearts. And so in that process of discovering the things that have captivated us, uh, God is constantly asking, will you lay that thing down and allow me to captivate you? Allow me to show you in Jesus the best way. And as we continue to lay down things that have captivated us in the past and trust Jesus for his way, I think we begin to discover where true rest is actually found. So I think that is a description of how God's word is the judge of our hearts and what has captivated our hearts. And I guess if I could summarize that up in one kind of paragraph, I, I, would, I would say it like this. The word of God judges our hearts by presenting to us the story of a good God who invites us back into his way of life. And in that process, illuminates for us areas in our hearts that are still captivated by the lesser things. And is constantly asking us, will you follow, will you trust my way instead of your own? And when we trust him, 
we actually begin to discover where true rest is found. And that's all I got for this morning. Uh, thank you guys for joining me through that as I stumble and bumble and figure out this crazy life of following Jesus. It's awesome and I'm and I'm grateful for all of you that are there to live that with me and to to follow Jesus with me. And so for a challenge for this week for all of us as we kind of close here this morning. Relating this back to actually our prayer time on Monday and even Tom was mentioning in in the sermon last week his challenge to I I think this idea of confession is a beautiful thing and it's really something that I don't think we've scratched the surface on 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 how that can really open us up not only to God but to each other. Um, and so in that prayer meeting on Monday, we actually confessed to each other areas in our lives where we've depended on ourselves and not on God. And in a sense, when we allow other things to captivate our hearts outside of God, we're actually allowing those things to, we're depending on those things for fulfillment, for peace, for hope. And so it's a similar type thing. So my thought was for this week, guys, uh, take some time and just pray, prayerfully consider uh, things in your life that you've allowed to captivate your heart and then find someone you trust whether it's a spouse or a good friend and confess them to them and pray for one another encourage each other and uh, yeah trust that God is going to day by day make us more into the image of his son Jesus so love you guys uh, thinking about you praying for you and hope to see you all soon have a great rest of your day